Today, we welcome back Chief Investment Strategist, David Riley. Welcome, David. Hi, Alex. What can investors take from the latest round of macroeconomic data? Well, as we discussed uh, last week, Alex, I do think that the sort of trough or the, or the lowest point in terms of the global recession was April. And I think the latest batch of hard economic data for May confirms that. U.S. retail sales rebounded actually quite a bit more strongly than expected. They were up almost 18% on the month, suggesting there was quite a lot of pent-up demand through the lockdown. The rebound in industrial production in the U.S., though, was much more muted. It rose by less than 1.5%. We also got some data out of China, so China retail sales and industrial production, actually a little bit weaker than expected, but still on the recovery path. In contrast to the U.S., it's still the supply side of the economy, industrial production, manufacturing that's been leading the recovery with consumption actually uh, lagging. I think just returning to the outlook for the U.S. economy, I think for key for a sustained rebound in consumer spending, which is the you know the bedrock of the U.S. economy, is going to be the performance of the jobs market. You know, last month we talked about the big positive payroll surprise, which was encouraging, but the trend in weekly unemployment claims is less so. There's still 20 million more Americans out of work than before the crisis. So I think the data confirms that we're past the you know, inflection point in the recession, but I think it's still too early to gauge any signal as to how durable and strong the recovery will prove to be. As we're in the middle of June, what do you think are the key themes for investors in the second half of the year? Well, I'm sure it will come as no surprise that a key theme will be the evolution of the virus and efforts to contain it, as underscored by the new, albeit you know, small localised outbreaks in Beijing, Germany, and the more worrying rise, I think, in the number of cases in some US states, the virus is proving very difficult to uh, tame. I think the market, therefore, is going to continue to be sensitive to news flows on medical treatments and in progress in finding a vaccine. But even though I think the virus is going to persist for some time, I think it's going to be the case that only if it threatens to overwhelm hospital capacity will authorities reimpose lockdowns. That said, I think these spikes in infections will lead to greater voluntary social distancing. I think it does undermine confidence in the path to some semblance of normality that I do think markets are anticipating. The other big theme, I think, for the second half is going to be around the ongoing economic policy response. We know that it's been unprecedented in terms of both government and central bank intervention, which has supported household incomes, jobs. It's helped contain the rise in bankruptcies. I mean, just as an example, almost half of the UK workforce is getting some form of financial support from the government. And more than 80% of UK businesses are getting support from the government and the uh, Bank of England. Now, I do think some of this, you know, huge government support for businesses and households we know is going to start to run off. I think many of these programmes will probably be extended. But I also think there's potentially too much optimism that there will be more in the way of fiscal stimulus, particularly in the US, given the approaching US elections. 
I'm more confident on the policy side that central banks will continue to pump liquidity into markets and support credit creation, both directly by buying corporate bonds, but also through their support for the banking sector. But but liquidity alone doesn't address solvency issues, which brings us really back to the economy and, and the shape of the recovery. And I think what makes it so difficult to assess this is that, of course, this is not a typical recession. This recession has been caused by the virus. And because it's not a typical recession, I think it's also therefore unlikely that the recovery will be typical. As we've noted before, I think the initial bounce back from the shutdowns will be actually pretty strong. But I don't think it's going to tell us that much about how durable and complete the recovery will be. I think it's going to take at least three or four months of economic data before we'll be able to discern with confidence whether it is a V-shaped recovery or we're in for a very long haul with the economy perhaps not getting back to its pre-crisis levels until maybe late 2022. And, And a lot, I think, will depend on the profile for unemployment. And that, in turn, will depend on the speed of recovery across different sectors and, and again, that is a function of the virus and social distancing policies, and to the extent that labour can be reallocated between them and the policy support. In terms of the outlook for financial markets, I think risk assets will continue to be periodically tugged back by fears around spikes in the virus and, and worries that asset prices have rallied too far, too fast, especially, I think, for US equities. But the pull higher from huge central bank liquidity and the search for returns in a world of zero and negative interest rates are very powerful forces. I think the challenge for investors is whether to stick with the up in quality theme where valuations are starting to approach their pre-crisis levels or start to dip down into more COVID-affected sectors, cyclical parts of the market, as well as move down the um, credit spectrum. In our view, moving down the capital structure of strong borrowers rather than increasing exposure to the riskiest credit makes sense. We do think there is value in subordinated corporate and bank debt and in higher rated emerging market credit. And if and when the recovery becomes more firmly entrenched, then one would expect high yield to outperform as we enter the more creditor friendly balance sheet repair phase of the cycle. With credit spreads meaningfully above historical averages, the backstop of central bank buying and the search for income in a zero interest rate world, I still do think that investment grade credit remains attractive from a risk reward perspective. And then finally, just to note, you know, there are obviously other issues out there, which I think will be the focus of the market in the second half, not least the US presidential and congressional elections. There's geopolitical risks, including relations between US and and China. And of course, you know, closer to home, there's still Brexit. You mentioned Brexit. And as you forecasted, the Bank of England announced an increase in its bond buying. What's the outlook for UK assets in your view? In terms of Brexit, the tone of discussions has improved recently, despite the UK government reiterating that it will not seek an extension of its current membership of the common customs area and single market. But the key obstacles to the agreement, the issues around a level playing field, 
role of the European Court of Justice, fisheries, these still remain. And I think getting a deal that is also going to be ratified by all the parties, including, of course, the 27 EU member states by the end of the year, is looking ever more challenging. That said, I think pragmatism may eventually win out on both sides, especially with Germany taking over the EU presidency. I think there is some hope in that regard. But I, I still think that we'll have the sort of familiar down-to-the-wire brinkmanship that's been a feature of UK-EU negotiations. And I think this is going to weigh on sterling and UK assets. And I think the uncertainty is not going to help in terms of the uh, recovery. Um, as you mentioned, Alex, um, the Bank of England did increase its quantitative easing target by £100 billion to £745 billion with that increase targeted solely at gilt rather than corporate debt. The pace of gilt purchases is actually going to be reduced because the Bank of England has pushed out when it expects to reach that target of £745 billion to the end of the year. Governor Andrew Bailey said the Bank of England is reviewing the risks and benefits of the effective lower bound. I still think that the conclusion will be that the potential risks associated with negative rates outweigh the benefits, but I wouldn't discount a marginal cut in the base rate by 10 basis points to to 0% over the summer. Interestingly, and a little bit surprisingly, the Monetary Policy Committee were a bit more upbeat on the near-term economic outlook. The committee now expects UK GDP to be around 20% below its pre-crisis level rather than 27% in the second quarter. And perhaps the recovery might be a little bit faster. And that actually prompted the Bank of England's chief economist to actually vote against the increase in QE. So I guess it's an interesting illustration of the interaction between the incoming economic data, the uncertainty around the outlook and the level of policy, ongoing policy support that is going to be provided. Thank you, David. Thank you. This podcast is issued in the United Kingdom by Blue Bay Asset Management LLP, which is authorised and regulated by the UK Financial Conduct Authority, registered with the US Securities and Exchange Commission and the US Commodity Futures Trading Commission, and is a member of the National Futures Association. This podcast may also be issued in the United States by Blue Bay Asset Management LLC, which is registered with the SEC and the NFA. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Unless otherwise stated, all data has been sourced by Blue Bay. To the best of Blue Bay's knowledge and belief, this podcast is true and accurate at the date hereof. Blue Bay makes no express or implied warranties or representations with respect to the information contained in this podcast and hereby expressly disclaim all warranties of accuracy, completeness or fitness for a particular purpose. This podcast is intended for professional clients and eligible counterparties as defined by the FCA only and should not be relied upon by any other category of customer. Except where agreed explicitly in writing, Blue Bay does not provide investment or other advice and nothing in this podcast constitutes any advice nor should be interpreted as such. No Blue Bay fund will be offered except pursuant and subject to the offering memorandum and subscription materials the offering materials. If there is an inconsistency between this podcast and the offering materials for the Blue Bay Fund, the provisions in the offering materials shall prevail.
You should read the offering materials carefully before investing in any Blue Bay fund. This podcast does not constitute an offer to sell or the solicitation of an offer to purchase any security or investment product in any jurisdiction and is for information purposes only. No part of this podcast may be reproduced in any manner without the prior written permission of Blue Bay Asset Management, LLP. Copyright 2020, Blue Bay. The investment manager, advisor and global distributor of the Blue Bay Funds is a wholly owned subsidiary of Royal Bank of Canada and the Blue Bay Funds may be considered to be related and or connected issuers to Royal Bank of Canada and its other affiliates. Registered trademark of Royal Bank of Canada. RBC Global Asset Management is a trademark of Royal Bank of Canada. Blue Bay Asset Management LLP, registered office, 77 Grosvenor Street, London, W1K 3JR, partnership registered in England and Wales, number OC370085. The term partner refers to a member of the LLP or a Blue Bay employee with equivalent standing. Details of membership of the Blue Bay Group and further important terms which this message is subject to can be obtained at www.bluebay.com. All rights reserved.